0: Vaccine mandates, it's dividing the nation, causing an employee-employer rift. We could be losing, suspending, or firing frontline staff as a result. And this is perhaps one of our hottest topics. I'm Rob Lawrence, and this is EMS One Stop. back to another edition of EMS One Stop. This is one of the hottest topic shows, I think, of the year so far. And uh, to help me break out the latest uh, on this particular subject, I have two of our finest EMS lawyers from around the country. I'm going to bring in Steve Worth from uh, Page Wolfberg and Worth and Scott Moore of Moore EMS Consulting. These guys are both EMS legal household names. Gentlemen,
1: welcome. Well, great to be here, Rob. And it's great to be sharing the podium, with my good friend Scott Moore.
2: Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Steve. As always, uh, Steve has been a great collaborator over the last few months as we've been tackling so many of these really new issues. So, thank yes,
0: you. indeed. So, there seems to be a new story in the press every single day of vaccine mandates being imposed in states, in businesses, uh, in communities. And then there is the usual fallout of non compliance. Uh, requesting accommodations, suspension, uh, firing people, uh, moving on. So this is, as I said at the start, a hot topic. And so what I want to do, guys, if I can, is let's just sort of do this in almost in a quick fire round, because I think there's so much to cover. And obviously, we, we want to, you know, bring everybody the latest uh, from our, our our legal minds here. Let's start off with question number one. Can EMS employers legally require all their staff to be vaccinated, Steve?
1: Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, the courts, uh, all the court decisions we've seen in the past, uh, all the way into the last couple of days, as a matter of fact, have upheld the employer's right to require vaccination Um, and this goes back to a fundamental uh, issue about you know what rights do people have in the workplace and we sometimes forget that in most workplace situations it's a bilateral relationship it's uh, basically you work there because you want to and your employer retains you because it wants to so uh, people are free to leave if they wish or to stay and employers are free to establish uh, legitimate Uh, legal, legitimate requirements and conditions of employment.
0: Even I've been in this country long enough to know that I have constitutional rights. So uh, do I have constitutional rights not to be vaccinated?
1: Well, keep in mind that the Constitution applies uh, to protecting us from the government, from the actions of the government. A lot of people believe that the Constitution applies to the private employment relationship, the relationship between employer and employee, and it really does not. So uh, it really comes down to, can the government mandate these things? And those challenges are cycling through the legal system now. And quite frankly, uh, uh, we believe those will be upheld those requirements. But from the standpoint of the general employment relationship, no, you really don't have any constitutional rights in the workplace. But I'll toss it over to Scott to add to that, Scott.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, that's an important distinction is in in many instances, people will cite, you know, prior to this uh, pandemic, they'll cite things like, you know, first amendment rights and so forth. And, and generally in a private employment relationship, there are a a whole host of laws that govern the relationship between employer and employee. And so, um, but but by and large, most of those uh, don't. Necessarily provide a constitutional protection. You have Title VII, you have the Americans with Disabilities Act, and a whole host of others. But um, in in this instance, that does often come up. Or people will argue some right to a liberty right, or they'll argue um, you know other other rights for which they just you know frankly don't understand the law as it as it pertains to this. And I think by and large that's because where most people are getting their education is is on the internet.
0: And I came at that you know, address that question with the kind of, you know, liberty, freedom and justice for all kind of attitude. But to kind of carry that question on there, have, I, I live in LA County and and there are lawsuits galore over, you know, the, the, the mandates and can I, or can't I be vaccinated? And I think Scott, that, I mean, there are a lot of legal challenges. Do you wanna pick out a few?
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, in particular, uh, you know, there are a couple of cases and, and Steve actually brought one of them to my attention uh, out of Kentucky with uh, an employer this is a U.S. District Court case in the Eastern District of Kentucky. Um, it was a it was a host of employees essentially um, arguing that their that the employer Saint Elizabeth's Medical Center was infringing upon their liberty rights um, by enforcing or requiring a vaccination mandate, and of course, the court um, upheld the employer's legitimate right to be able to. Um, to mandate vaccination again, there was another in the state of Rhode Island. Really, this one had just a slight variation on that theme. In the state of Rhode Island, there the Department of Public Health or the licensing entity for healthcare providers, including EMTs and paramedics, uh, essentially uh, said that you know employ these these uh, licensed or certified individuals needed to be vaccinated, or there would be an action taken upon their license to prevent them from practicing and. Again, there was a argument relative to a liberty right. And um, and again, the court uh, in this instance upheld it. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why, and I'm going to pass it over to Steve, because, you know, frankly, he pulled this quote out and, and it really does, this is the one area when people come down to a sense of fairness, I think that we often hear employees or employees forget that the relationship is an employment at will relationship. And these days with an employment market like this, You know, you'd be hard pressed to tell me that, you know, you could not go to another employer. But Steve, do you want to pick up what the court's rationale was behind that?
1: Sure. In the Kentucky case, the judge uh, looked at this and he took a pretty strong position, but uh, the correct one from a legal standpoint, we believe. And he equated this requirement of vaccination to other obligations and requirements that employees have of their employees, like wearing certain uniforms, arriving to work on time flu vaccine requirements that have been in healthcare for years, as we know, and the judge said that these are all conditions of employment, and employers are allowed to place some limits on workers' behavior in exchange for the pay, you know, and the benefits. And this is the quote he used, it's pretty strong, he says, if an employee believes his or her individual liberties are more important than legally permissible conditions on his or her employment, well... That employee can and should choose to exercise another individual liberty, no less significant, the right to seek other employment. So a pretty strong statement, but that seems to be what we're seeing in all of these uh, cases that are coming to the federal district court level now.
2: I was just going to say, yes, and Steve captured it. I think that's one thing that we often, will, will, you know, sort of when it comes to these discussions and I've, and I've participated in more than i can count a number of reasonable accommodation discussions between employers and employees and um the the issue i often hear from the employees are you're forcing me you know you're forcing me and in fact in some instances i'm even hearing references to the nuremberg code which is really an ethical code following the treatment of or really we should say forced medical experimentation and and mistreatment of individuals in concentration camps and so you know, that, you know, in every instance, I, I want to just pause people and stop them to say that deciding whether you do or not do not get vaccinated, you know, cannot be compared in any way, shape or form to what occurred to people in Nazi Germany in concentration right. camps. And and I Absolutely. find it myself, you know, and there's a case here in um, it was a Methodist case out of Texas, mm-hmm. I believe, Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong, where That's essentially correct. the judge said to compare um, forcing, you know, or making or a mandate for employees to get vaccinated to what occurred in concentration camps is, is reprehensible. And so, you know, I think it's important that employees do have a right to pick where they work and when they work. And if there's something that their employer is doing that they disagree with, well, they can go out and find an employer for whom they do disagree, they do agree with their their particular position. So, That's right. um, you know, in this instance, we both think that the court really did come down, at least as the law is developed today. They came down with the right decision.
0: So we've talked about legal challenges. Let's just get back onto the subject of accommodations. Then I'm in LA County. It seems like a lot of some of the public safety organizations here have developed a lot of re- religious beliefs in in you know in rapid time. Now that's not to say that you can't do that. Of course, people, you know, will find religion. Rapidly, you know, are, are you seeing any kind of patterns or trends or you know, dare I say cut and paste going on?
1: Yeah, I'll jump in and then let Scott talk about the uh, the accommodation side of it. but uh, actually, you know, the individuals, Title VII requires you uh, allow for some religious accommodations as long as that uh, doesn't create more expense or too di- too much difficulty beyond being de minimis. So, Employers have a lot of leeway there. And in some cases, employers and states even have established policies that won't accept any religious accommodations to mandatory vaccination. And I also believe many of those are going to be upheld if they get challenged. But, Scott, you want to talk about the duties there?
2: Yeah sure and I think you know one of the important things that I've 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 heard from a lot of folks and Rob you alluded to the idea that a lot of folks have found religion you know in in 18 years of practicing law and then an additional 11 years of of running ambulance services uh, in addition to that you know, I think in all of my time, I've only ever prior to this vaccine mandate ever, you know, handled probably three religious accommodation requests over that time, which, you know, it's hard to believe that I think in the last, you know, three weeks I've done or participated in over maybe 43 or, or 50 at this point. And so one of the challenges that I've been seeing, you know, is of course, under, um, you know, Steve alluded to this, that unless that, um, you you know an employer is obligated to furnish that um, accommodation unless it creates uh, or causes the employer more than a de minimis expense, and that expense can be both direct or indirect. And in addition to that, really, the EEOC has laid out a few um, different you know um, criteria for trying to decide if, in fact. The um, employer is is facing a more than de minimis expense. Now, this is different than what's required under the ADA. This this burden for an employer is far is far lower. So, when it comes down to permitting, uh, you know, and analyzing this, it's you know, what is that expense? An indirect expense? A direct expense? Is it contrary to another law? As Steve mentioned, some of the states have passed laws that essentially say, "Geez, you know, we're not going to permit a religious expense." I mean, a, a religious exception, and so in that instance, when in fact the proposed accommodation conflicts with another law or regulation. Um, the employer can deny that the other criteria were does it decrease workplace efficiency does it infringe upon the rights of other employees does it require. Other employees to do more than their share of hazardous or burdensome work or just plain and simply it compromises workplace safety so. You know these criteria. As you start to look through this, if I had a, a crew that was unvaccinated and or where one of the members was unvaccinated on the scene with a patient that wanted to go to a facility where that facility is not permitting, um, you know, uh, contractors or vendors to come into that facility if they're unvaccinated, and I had to dispatch out a second crew to to take over the care of that patient to then transport that patient would that decrease workplace efficiency? Very likely. Would that be too costly? Very likely. Would that potentially require employees to do more than their share of potentially had or had hazardous or just simply mm-hmm. bring some work? And I think in most instances, you know, based upon what we've seen, in most instances, employers would be, um, at least most of the EMS employers that I've seen, in most instances would, or could be very likely justified in denying most religious accommodations. Now, that being said, the law requires a case-by-case analysis. And as an employer, you best show that you've done the analysis to determine, was it too costly? Well, what would that cost? Did did it decrease workplace efficiency? What kind of impact in a documented way would that have upon your workplace? If there's a law that conflicts with this, then you should document what that law is. So it's- You know, it's and I don't know, Steve, if you have anything to add.
1: Yeah, just you know, fundamentally, you know, it comes down to you know, is that a reasonable accommodation? And, and the answer is quite likely no. It's not reasonable for an employer to have to go send another vaccinated ambulance crew to that facility and so forth. And those kinds of accommodations, uh, courts have generally sided with the employers in those areas. And you know, the other thing is, it poses an undue hardship on the on the
2: employer. Well, and one other thing I'll add is that as as you know, and the EOC has really set out four factors that um, can an employer. So, sort of the fundamental is it has to be a sincerely held religious belief. Yes. And so, you know, if there is behavior or activity that's inconsistent with that claimed belief, then that could be an instance. So, for example, if you had an employee who claimed that. Um, they objected to the vaccination based upon uh, the use of the human fetal cell line in the research and development. You know, there have been, um, you know, many, many vaccinations over the years, tetanus, HPV, um, you know, varicella, etc. If you found an employee whose uh, vaccination record revealed that, geez, as early as maybe even a year ago, they had received a vaccination um, that, in fact, utilized that human fetal cell line, then that might be something that's not in and of itself a you know a decisive factor but it is one of the factors that you could look at um you know this is not the the challenge with the religious piece is that i don't find it's always best to to sort of doubt someone's religious the sort of sincerity of their belief that's a to me a, a slippery slope but um because in fact in most instances employers can simply deny it based upon the de minimis cost issue but so you know we found rob as we talked about um you know, when someone has drafted their religious accommodation request, we're finding six and seven employees from the same employer whose religious requests, requests are worded identically. And so what that tells us is if it's supposed to be your own sincerely held religious belief and yours is worded word for word like the one yeah. your coworker had or in many instances i've searched the web for certain key terms or texts and found many of these request letters Mm -hmm. online there are folks out there selling accommodation request letters so what i will tell you is that alone could be a reason to doubt the sincerity because if it's supposed to be your own sincerely held words but seven of your you know your peers have it too well that sort of leads to believe that maybe it's not so sincere
1: and it has to be a sincerely held religious belief it just can't be well i don't want it because of my personal beliefs that doesn't cut it under the uh, religious accommodation yeah
2: and most recently i've had when people have had their request denied they start to then push back on some of the you know this is experimental you you know can you guarantee my safety And, and i say well all the things that you're talking about now are not religious concerns those are safety related concerns and i have to defer to the fda
1: yeah, it's very fascinating. You know, and too, when you go back to history and Rob enjoys history, I know he's a student of uh We're history. not going to talk
0: about the tea in the harbor and again, are we?
1: We're close. Actually, oh, okay. we are. Well, we on. are <laughs> going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the Revolutionary War. And one of the reasons that George Washington was picked as commander in chief was because he had smallpox already. So he had immunities developed and smallpox was ravaging our country. It was ravaging England. And... Washington required vaccination, although then they called it inoculation because it was a primitive form. It wasn't injected with a needle, but they took uh, the pus from a uh, wound, from a smallpox wound, and they uh, placed it, you know, with a small cut into the uh, soldier's arm. and And he required all of his Continental Army soldiers to be vaccinated, and they were volunteers. And ironically, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of historians believe that that requirement actually was a significant factor in our ability to win the uh, Revolutionary War and, mind you, ironically, to come up with the very rights we have today, the liberty rights that we have that people are screaming about as to why they they shouldn't be required to be vaccinated, those very rights were won in part because of a mandatory vaccination program. Isn't that ironic?
0: Thank you for that uh, history lesson, Steve. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, General Cornwallis actually had a cold that day and couldn't come out. That's why we uh, we gave up. But, uh, Is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Hey, anyway, listen, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can even rate uh, mine, Steve's History Debates. Also, follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher and spotify as always please leave your comments in the comments section at ems1.com i'm back here with uh, steve and scott i've still got a ton more questions so let's just talk about the fact that the clock is counting down now to mandate day in some places federally etc fire or place on unpaid leave i mean this is one of those things i'm sure employers have got to come up with right now
2: Yeah, well, well, certainly, you know, uh, one of the accommodations, if in fact, um, and this gets lost a lot of times, or folks think that the accommodation is the right not to get vaccinated, another accommodation which has been approved or has been ruled as a permissible accommodation for people who have an objection or seeking an exception for vaccination is unpaid leave until such time as the concern or the risk in the workplace has subsided. Now, for a lot of people, that's not what they're hoping for, of course, because many of our folks work paycheck to paycheck and being provided unpaid leave for what could be weeks or months or even a year. um, Because frankly, I think, you know, and I talk a lot about this with um, Dr. Russell in uh, Missouri, this is here to stay. And so my thought is, is that really, frankly, folks are going to have to get comfortable with the idea of this vaccination. They've been, in many instances, comfortable with hepatitis B and all the others. So, um, you know, I'd say that, you know, one of the things that you could furnish to an individual is is the unpaid leave, Uh, and that, in and of itself, will allow folks time to, if, in fact, that religious belief is incredibly strong, well, then they'll continue to look for employment, potentially with someone who Who's not concerned as much about the workplace safety? Um, otherwise, uh, you know some of the things. If in fact you you believe you can do so, uh, and because many employers right now are deeply concerned about the workforce shortages um is the you know maybe masking with weekly or biweekly testing now one of the things that we know for a fact and we're awaiting we think it'll be this week are three sets of regulations coming down for for federal contractors for um for osha from osha regarding emergency standards regarding uh, mandatory vaccinations and then lastly from the centers of medicaid and medicaid services so you know we are waiting for those and we know one of the minimally sort of the floor for any accommodation will be, you know, 100% masking and vaccination. I mean, I'm sorry, and testing on a regular and ongoing basis. So, you know, that's that's what we're seeing is, you know, for those employers who frankly are concerned about, you know, losing a percentage of their staff. And, and I think by and large, that's not been found to have occurred so much. And maybe Steve can touch upon that, but what we're what we're seeing is um, is that really the masking and regular testing is sort of what folks are going to for uh, a, a vaccination accommodation, and then others are doing the unpaid leave? Steve, I don't know. You you had forwarded me an article that I thought actually really touched well upon the fact that by and large, it just people really don't leave their employer.
1: Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, uh, reports just came out this past week. They did a survey of hospital systems. Uh, one of the uh, journals. And they found that, okay, so under voluntary vaccination programs, hospitals and healthcare systems can get up to say 70, 80% compliance, you know, and then the balance 25% are threatening to leave or quit. Okay. If they, there's a mandatory uh, vaccination requirements. Well, now they're going to implementing mandatory vaccinations. 40% of the hospital health systems around the country have now gone to that every day, more adding to it. What they're finding is people are not quitting in droves. They're finding that most people then comply with the rule. Uh, If it's mandated by the employer, some of the uh, compliance percentages are up around 96% then once the healthcare employer puts in place a mandatory vaccination requirement. The balance being the legitimate, sincerely held religious beliefs and medical exemptions uh, under the ADA process as well. So bottom line is uh, requiring mandating vaccines is not creating the drove of people leaving the healthcare system. Now, on the other hand, EMS, we're really stressed. We're burned out. We've got uh, Mm -hmm. people overwhelmed. And in fact, there's another report just came out, uh, the McKinsey company, and they just did a study and found that there's a high percentage of employees who literally will quit their jobs without even Having another job to go to, like 30 to 40 percent, and that we're seeing in EMS, people are getting out of EMS, and they might say, "Oh, it's because of all this, because of the vaccine." But the reality is, it's because of a lot of different reasons: the stress, the workload, the exposure, the you know, the poor benefits and pay, whatever it might be. But uh, you know, they're finding mandatory vaccines are not causing uh, people to leave, at least in general healthcare.
0: That was a major concern, I think, of, you know, a lot of employers that what if. Uh, and so I guess as we're getting closer to the to the, you know, the D-Day of whenever your D-Day is, right. then people are sort of coming coming down to that. I want to ask a question about the sort of federal vaccine mandate for a second. So a lot of our, um, you know, a lot of our major employers have federal contacts. Actually, we hope to get paid for Medicare and Medicaid, which makes us kind of linked to the feds also. Right. Um, so how does that affect anyone that's attached to those things? For example, if you're using a third party billing agent, for example, if you are, you know, you have consultants that work with you, how far does that mandate, the federal mandate reach if you, if you're taking federal
1: dollars? Right. Well, we need, yeah, we need to define what's taking federal dollars. And what the government is saying is that you have to be a bona fide contractor. The government's saying, if you're a federal contractor, you have a contract with us, like a VA contract that's the main one in EMS that we can think of, well, then they're going to require that uh, your personnel be vaccinated. But simply receiving Medicare and Medicaid funds does not make you a federal contractor. And then that gets into the next point that I'll defer to Scott on. Uh, What's going to happen there then with CMS issues the rule? Is that going to include EMS, Scott?
2: Yeah, so that's a great point. So one, I'll, I'll I'll hit that first, and then we'll touch the federal contractor piece. So what we're hearing, and we, we don't know definitively, but what we're hearing are for the CMS requirements, it will be those certified uh, facilities that that are subject to conditions of participation. So most of your Part B providers, that would not be you. Now, if you are a hospital-based Part A provider, you very likely will be subject to um, conditions of participation. And this is one of the challenges as people talk about getting out of EMS. Well, where do folks who work in EMS typically go? They will sometimes go to public safety, fire or police, but in most instances or a lot of instances, they go to um, hospital-based or other facility-based Providers of whom will require mandatory vaccination because they're going to be subject to new regulations from CMS. Now, what we're what we're wondering is if in fact they do stick with the conditions of participation requirement, will they also include language that pulls us in by being and any contractor or vendor servicing right. Enter, that facility? Yep. And if yeah. that's the instance, then we'll be pulled in under under those regulations.
1: Right. And of course, the other way we will be pulled in. If it's not through the CMS rule, and we're not sure we want to emphasize we're not sure because we haven't seen any rules yet from CMS, but it's under the OSHA uh, emergency temporary standard in, in the uh, 100 employee rule that you know OSHA is going to require employers 100 or more employees to uh, be vaccinated so that, yeah, uh,
2: and now there. on the Federal piece. Um, when when Rob Rob asked an important question, and, and we we don't have the actual regulations yet but the safer federal the federal safer workforce task force released guidance to those that will be drafting those regulations and included in that guidance was that it will be any employee working on or in connection with the federal contract and that includes people who are not working in even at your facility so that could include people who you have working remotely but who are doing billing who are doing educational services that was the root of my
0: question scott how deep do we go with this
2: yep yep so if you are essentially if you're doing work on or in connection with um you will you will be required to do to um, mandate vaccination now it's a good question on the if it's a third party billing agency doing billing on behalf of the ambulance provider if we were to do a straight up on or in connection with, I believe that's only subject to the specific contractor. But honestly, I don't know, Steve, do you, do you have a take on that?
1: I don't think it would include third party billing entities.
2: Yeah, that would seem, and you know, it's kind of like one of the things that they said in the guidance was that they're not, they're not seeking to mandate um, providers who provide, let's say products. So if I, you know, if you're a, you know if you're under a federal contract to deliver hamburgers to the government you're not going to be subject to this because you wouldn't be interacting this is about um this is about those who are doing work and interacting with people who are subject to right. the federal contract so yeah it would my my gut would be likely not including those third-party billing agents but if you have people who are dispatchers educators you know um Folks in your clinical or training department, folks in your HR department, as well as your billing office—even if those people are working remotely—they will be subject to this mandate.
1: Yeah, and I think we want to emphasize too to our listeners that this stuff's changing literally minute to minute, and uh, you know we're giving you the latest and greatest, but uh, you know it could change tomorrow, and we're not sure what some of these government requires requirements are going to be because they haven't come out yet. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you've got to watch
0: watch this space as it
1: goes. Guys, listen, um,
0: we're we're almost on time, but I really want to finish on a positive. So how do we, what are your suggestions for to increase the vaccine rate if, as an employer or an organization, you're struggling, Mm
1: -hmm. Steve? Well, I think really doing a a real good job of communicating with employees, uh, putting in place of, you know, voluntary uh, vaccination programs, providing incentives, you know, being engaged with employees so that you get to know them and you understand their concerns and you educate them because a lot of it is, is you know, <laughs> to say we have misinformation out there is an understatement, but uh, a lot of it uh, relates to that as well. So I think the positive things you can do in the workplace to encourage people to get vaccinated, that's the best way to go. You know, mandatory requirements should be the last. Before
0: you, before I come to you, Scott. If you didn't watch this week's John Oliver, he did a fantastic show on disinformation. In fact, uh, obviously, he did the ambulance. Uh, we had the ambulance coverage a few weeks ago. Disinformation was like this this week, tonight's, last week, yesterday's show. So, uh, Scott.
2: Yeah, and and you know, I, as I've been going through some of these accommodation meetings, I've heard. You know, I saw a couple of weeks ago. I saw an article on NPR that said essentially. That roughly 95% of the misinformation on the web is, is is furnished or sort of created by roughly six or seven people. And as I've gone through some of these meetings and I've said to people, okay, understand that at a minimum it will be masking and testing. And they say, well, I don't feel comfortable with testing. And when I ask them why, they say, well, you know, the tests are still, there's some carcinogens in those tests. And I say, um, well, the part that touches your nose is a cotton swab. Right. Uh, You know, and that's it. Right. And whatever that cotton swab goes in after you've been tested, you know, that may be carcinogenic, but it doesn't touch you and it never does. And so I think it's important. I agree with Steve. I think probably the number one thing you can do is, you know, this is in most instances a function of, you know, of communication and relationship, if, you know, I can remember my father worked for General Electric for 39 years. And he used to say, if GE came out with a policy or a benefit, we all took it, no questions asked, because we trusted our employer. And so I think when it comes down to it is this is about, you know, relationships between employees and employers. And and in most instances, that's relationships between employees and their immediate supervisor. And so, you know, if I'm a company, and I'm talking about, um, you know, or I'm considering a mandatory, vaccination policy, I would be making sure that my whole team has been educated, bring in whatever services, whether it's folks from your occupational health services, because in many instances, you can provide or have them furnish or debunk some of the nonsense that is out there relative to vaccination. But this really comes down to making sure that you, you know, I agree with you, incentivize rather than than mandate. And um, while, uh, you know, I will say I, I, I have seen some organizations flip flop. Some saying we we recommend mandatory vaccination, and then a month later saying we we recommend you know we we encourage vaccination. I think we need to be somewhat um, somewhat consistent in the message. But uh, that being said, I think again it's communication. Seek first to understand, and then you will usually make progress. And uh, and then at the end of the day, if they don't want to get vaccinated help them, um, and help them understand that, you know, you're going to do what you can for them, because certainly while, you know, this thing won't last forever, um, you know, you don't, the the best person to recruit for you is your own employees and ex-employees, believe it or not.
0: So a long way to go. Hopefully we can have you guys back in a few weeks because this is a rapidly moving scene here, but for now, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Great to be with you.
1: Thank you, Rob.